Chapter six, The Red Thread. Song Yang asked, why can't clear-eyed bodhisattvas sever the red thread? And then I think we discuss. Yeah. So when before. I first saw this, I thought it said, why can't clear-eyed bodhisattvas see the red thread? Huh. Well, this isn't the answer at all. No, 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 I know. I just no 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 that's that's neat but my original thought about enlightenment would be that i would understand everything and then my second thought would be that i could do anything <laughs> and and now it's uh that even a bodhisattva can't do things but there's there's so much about the red thread that 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 doesn't even include but why can't if it was why can't the clear-eyed bodhisattva do anything Hmm. Uh, but uh, isn't it specifically? Uh, yes. Never because this has a Buddhist connotation, and there's, I guess, they're saying it's bodhisattva, so there shouldn't be, one would think, not attachment, but. Um, hmm. And also, the clear eyed is interesting because. Um, can you imagine a bodhisattva that's not clear clear eyed? That seems like would would be necessary. It's sort of like saying uh, geisha girl. It's like same same. Why does why do is that necessary? The so word geisha or the word girl. The girl is built into geisha. Yeah. So one doesn't need to say geisha girl. So you would imagine that clear eye is built into bodhisattva. So why is it necessary to state it? Yeah. So in um. So I don't know, but this did take me back to Flint's ceremony with Peg. Right. With the ball of red yarn, which is a symbolic thread between and amongst us that can't be severed was passed around connecting all of our hearts um and what is a bodhisattva but compassion and heart so that's where that took me there's um the famous lay bodhisattva vima lakirti and he talks about all the different levels of bodhisattvas. So it's not like one, but there's like really good just, bodhisattvas and bodhisattvas in training and, you know, all the whole. I was just going to add, Kim, that our practice tells us, thank goodness, that we are all already Buddha. We are all Buddha. We are all. And so I was wondering if maybe this meant we are all bodhisattva already, except maybe not quite, maybe we could practice a little more deeply. I don't think that idea goes back this far. To clear-eyed? No, to, to at the time of the koan. That's what I, but that's what I. Yeah. That's what I pictured when I saw clear-eyed. But, but maybe metaphorically it does. 
you know, in some other way. We'll see. Does um does the red thread have cultural connotation? Because is it like considered like a thread from the soul to the body? Red is very different in Asia. The color red, but I don't know about uh, that. Hmm. You know, we we have kind of a hang up about red being blood and things like that, but it, it's a it means something different, and I can't remember exactly what it is. It certainly has a Buddhist connotation and it connects us. Okay. I'm going to go the other route. <laughs> so, correct me if I'm wrong, a Bodhisattva is an enlightened monk, right? Yeah, but rather than passing over and not being reborn, they stay back to save all beings. So if that is the case, they wouldn't need to serve anything because they are not attached to anything. Well, they're attached to serving, to saving all beings. Well, they have, they have a mission. But yes, that, but what I'm trying to say is like, um, why doesn't a lion eat grass? Well, a lion doesn't eat grass. So it's a superfluous question. They may have attachment, a bodhisattva may have an, a mission to save humanity, but that doesn't mean that it makes them attached to everything that would prevent them from becoming a bodhisattva. So Starlet, you're, as I understand what you're saying is a bodhisattva is indeed attachment to staying and their mission is not necessarily an attachment. It is a mission without attachment because they're already an enlightened being and an enlightened being wouldn't be attached. Correct. They're just doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. It's what's needed, yes. But the interesting, well, there's several interesting things in this. The word can't and the word clear-eyed and the the word red isn't um, doesn't cause my mind to go different places because I've seen at least one significance of it in our practice, and that was our connection, as was shown through Flint's um, ceremony. Best investment is that the word? In trust, in, yeah. trust, no, 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 transmission. 
transmission ceremony. Right? Yeah. I so want to know what this is about because I have no idea. <laughs> Should we go on, Emily? Yeah. Let's go well, on. can I just say one sure. cheating thing? Yeah. So um, I Googled <laughs> Red Thread and um, there was a hit on uh, the story of EQ, founder of Red Thread Zen Buddhism. And uh, Red Thread Zen Buddhism, it reads, was radical in its non-dualism. This version of Buddhism includes the entire world in its teaching. Rather than being confined to sacred spaces, if all beings have Buddha nature, then enlightenment isn't a matter of lifestyle. It's a living experience. When his teacher tried to get him to stay in a monastery, he wouldn't do it. So Thank I don't you. know if it relates to this, but, uh, and Song Yang, well, EQ, that looks like a Japanese, and this is not a, Song Yang is not Japanese, so I don't know. Well, thank Maybe. you, and it's, it's a big deal, the red thread. Okay, let's go on. All right. So it's Cody, Emily, um, Kim, Milan, Nandia, Nelda. Starlet. Starlet. Starlet, sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You want to go, Cody? Okay. Uh, connections that desire makes. Friday, I tasted life. It was a vast morsel. A circus passed the house. Still, I feel the red in my mind, though the drums are out. The lawn is full of south and the oldest tangle. And I hear today for the first time. The river in the tree, Emily Dickinson. We must agree on what matters. Kissing, kissing in public places, bacon sandwiches, disagreement, cutting edge fashion, literature, gen generosity, water, a more equitable distri distribution of world's resources, movies, music, freedom of thought, beauty, love, Salmon Rushdie. Desire burns at the core of life, and it's usually complicated. If you love me, then I don't love you, as Carmen sings. One spiritual solution to desire is to flee it. The idea is non-attachment, transcending the body and its feelings, an intellectual form of taking a cold shower. But trying not to think about what you want sets up an inner conflict and is not the same as freedom. Desire might be handled in another way, as a given. What you want is a portion of the world rising out of nothingness to meet you. It has its own purity just by existing. 
It is as real as the Sydney Opera House or a wombat. You can't transcend a wombat. Perhaps desire is necessary for life and fundamental to empathy. You might find freedom by going toward the disturbing force rather than away from it. There is nowhere outside the body you can live, so you might find freedom in the body. One koan about desire consists of a simple question. The koan, the red thread, Sonyan asked, why can't clear-eyed bodhisattvas sever the red thread? Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Of course. The, at the very beginning, it says, one spiritual solution to desire is to flee it. How is that a solution? I mean, it's not... I don't think he's saying it's what works. I think he's saying that's the path that some people. And many ascetics would do that. And even the Theravadan um, monks would do that. When my friend who was a woman uh, sat next to the Theravadan monk, she was scolded and made to move away because he might have some desire. So many people. <laughs> Do and that. so that that was her uh okay never mind i have an issue here okay of course she had a terrible issue with that <laughs> why you know why should she have to move away for his problem let's see uh so I have a comment. Um, yeah. This, let's call it issue, <laughs> it's even deeper to me uh, because in this logic of reincarnation and enlightenment and the bodhisattva in here, we are assuming that we have to, let's say, get enlightened to to have another perspective or experience of life, which is not the one of attachments and the body and the desire and all that. So to me, it could be, the issue could be like to understand or believe or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we are here because of that. or decide to be a bodhisattva and stay here to, as Kim said, save the other ones, but save the other ones from what? From the life itself, from the- From suffering, life. from attachment, which, which causes is, suffering. Yeah, which is, in other words, the human being nature or flee about it, like, this is a whole issue to me, but it's the basic. Well, yeah. I think you could ask the question, is it our nature or is it like what we what we fall into? Yeah, I, Milan, I think you kind of stated what he's talking about, which is what is the solution to, is there a solution to uh, non-attachment? 
Um, and he says, is it fleeing it or is it um, moving towards it? The thing is that on the bottom, it says, there is nowhere outside the body you can live. So you might find freedom in the body. So I don't think he's really embracing the fleeing away. I think because he does say that perhaps desire is necessary for life and fundamental to empathy. And empathy is what makes us the best in humans. Lack of empathy can make us very cruel beings. And like, peace with me. And to, and to state it another way, um, I don't think our practice calls us to be non-human, to not be human, to not recognize that we will feel every emotion, joy and sadness, hate and love, uh, jealousy and desire. We're human. I think what our practice calls us to do is to sit with rather than sit in, to not let those things become the container, but to hold all of those in our container, the container of our practice. So, um, which for me goes along with him. And, and what is that container? It is our mind body, our heart body and our physical body. Our container is made up of those things and by expanding them, then we are able to hold whatever comes up in our mind, emotions, heart, body, um, with less of the pull of those things that might make us turn to um, decisions that aren't to our benefit. I've always thought, it, you know, it's what I've, it, it isn't so much what I feel, and I'm just talking in a non, practice way right now no it's not so much what I feel that matters we all have every single feeling in us and we touch on each of them at different times what matters is what I do with that so I don't know if that's helpful to anyone but it is for me when I practice as you were talking I was thinking about jumping into the water and you can either swim or drown But you can also float. Float. Oh. <laughs> float. <laughs> and just to notice that the, um, in his commentary, he is saying that this, um, this one sentence, koan, is about desire. does sound like the red thread is desire, doesn't it, so far? But it's a, um, on one side of town, they would say it's a bit of a mind fuck, but we can say it's a bit of a conundrum um, on the other side of town because, uh, desire and bodhisattva shouldn't be sharing the same sentence. 
quote unquote shouldn't. Let's find out. Okay. Is it my turn? Mm -hmm. The idea here is that a red theme runs through everyone's life. This red thread is passion and sorrow, all the vulnerability and desire that link you to the world. The direction this thread takes in your life is only gradually observable over time. It is the color of blood, of fire, of sex, of intimacy. To connect, to help, to be of use to the world, you have to walk with people. You have to let them act upon you also, and you won't remain unchanged. The interesting thing here is that the person who is attached to desire is the one who is a bodhisattva, the Buddhist version of a saint who is seeking to help others. Your own desire, your own red thread, might be the source of your empathy for others. Sanyan, who made this koan, <laughs> was explicit about this. Sometimes he said, it's the red thread between your legs. In this con, there is also a sense that love is the enemy of purity. Mohammed Ara, whose fanatism led him to pilot one of the airplanes into the World Trade Center, found the presence of women polluting, and it makes sense that someone who could commit random killings for the sake of an idea couldn't enjoy life very much. Puritanism takes many forms, counting the, the worth of people only as numbers, which the corporate and bureaucratic mind loves to do, is Puritan because it ignores the, necess the necessary uniqueness of each person. Also, when religious parents don't want children to be taught evolution, there is a Purit Puritan fear of being part of the natural world, of losing oneself in nature and desire. During the time of the airplane attacks that destroyed the World Trade Center, John Ashcroft, Attorney General of the United States, used to give press conference conferences in front of um, um, Berber Street, Statues of Justice. It evidently embarrassed him to be talking to television audiences with a half-naked woman standing behind him. So he arranged for, for curtains to cover her when he, when he spoke. Mm. Justice um, without breasts, it's a bad sign of mercy. <laughs> oh my God, we are such a troubled society. The red thread is always tangled and resists the simplification of life into formula. No matter how pure you are, you might change your mind, fall in love, or forget to punish someone. 
erotic connections turn life upside down. And when life is too tight, turning things upside down can be a good thing. This koan resists the totalitarian impulse in spiritual paths. I knew a man whose life had a great deal of the red thread in it and who was also a bodhisattva of sorts. There's more than one kind of darkness in his story and some might think it did not end well, yet for me, it is about the shapes love takes. Tommy Dorsey was a performing drag queen who discovered an enthusiasm for Zen Buddhism. An enthusiasm that <clears throat> for some years at least saved his life. He became a priest, shaved his head, was given the name Issen, and wore the formal kimono-like robes that went with the role in Japan. I still wear a skirt, but I gave up heels, he said. His dedication surprised many people. And when his teacher made him the abbot of a small Zen center in the Castro district of San, in San Francisco, it was a big event. The Castro was a place for the gay revolution with its arts, its parties, its style, and its joy de, de vivre. <clears throat> Uh, and, and his son was a part of these things. And then in the early 1980s, AIDS started to appear. And at first, no one knew what to make of it. Whatever the disease was, there were very sick young men who were in the streets with nowhere to go. May I read? Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. There was a medieval echo in this play because it was little understood and because it was often disfiguring. There were people who shunned the sick man. I'm not letting you eat of my dishes. You will infect my kids. And there were hands that reached out to catch the falling bodies and asked for nothing in return. In Northern California, lesbians were prominent in the caretaking movement. And there was a sorrowful repetition of the old motif of the women holding the body of a young man. It was nursing time and funeral time. It was red thread time when desire and kindness and death were intimately twined together and the Puritans had very little to contribute. One day, Isan brought home with him a man who had become too sick for his roommate to manage. The man was called JD and seemed to be going down fast. Isan thought that he and his friends at the Zen Center, whom he consulted beforehand, though without really explaining how much everyone's life was about to change, would take care of JD until JD died. Isan didn't think anything. Isan didn't think of anything he did as noble or good. Being good in conventional ways was, wasn't his strong suits anyway. 
And this more or less involuntary act of kindness seemed to, seems to me deeper than a thought out choice might be. He knew a lot about desire and love and this decision came over him the way desire would. It was a red thread moment and also a moment of simple fellow feeling. Isan's thought was that JD would get a good dignified death in a few weeks. And after he was gone, Isan intended to haul someone else home. But JD had other ideas. He became delirious and paranoid, manifested many terrifying symptoms, and then revived. He wangled himself a motorized wheelchair in which he had rotted around the castle. He took his How do you pronounce that? Chariot. Chariot, thank you. He took this chariot by Bart, which is the Bay Area's rapid transit, transit system to Oakland and came back with an Juana. He demanded Martinez. He eventually traveled to Florida to say goodbye to his family. JD smuggled, smuggled his pet onto the plane and someone lost him there. <laughs> Somehow lost him there. After which he locked himself in the bathroom uh, at 30,000 feet. And in Florida, eventually he died. This is another thing about the red thread. If you help people, they will be unpredictable and inconvenient and do inconvenient and possibly dangerous things. When you take in a person with AIDS, dementia might be a factor on top of tuberculosis and shingles and other stranger diseases. Yet even so, beauty might be linking everyone concerned. Isan's fate was interlaced with others like JD. Being Isan meant being tangled up with the consolations and transgressions of desire. He carried that power and that blessing. He had a lover whom Phil Whalen called Sweet Baby James, but not to Isan's face. Isan had known James for years and considered him one of his transcendental experiences. James was a street kid who could indeed be charming and then again could go crazy and roller skate around the Zendo and threaten people Isan thought he must have caught AIDS during a weekend involving, quote, James, a cheap motel, and a bottle of gin. No, no, it was a bottle of good gin, actually. I can't stand the cheap stuff. This was the sort of adventure that had something dark and unconscious about it, and that nevertheless was also threaded through with what was exciting and sympathetic about Isan. It is not necessary oh. for desire to keep. Wait, 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 Nilda. And oh, then, I'm sorry. It's all right, Cody. And then Starlet after me. It is not necessary for desire to kill you. Isan was killed by circumstances and luck, not desire. He was like someone who is in a market picking up a bottle of wine 
when it's bombed. You could say that the desire for wine killed that person. But if she had been out buying bread, you would say that she was, would you say that she was killed by her desire for bread? You need courage to find out what you really want in life and what you want might be dangerous. But life is dangerous anyway, and there is a beauty in becoming more and more fully who you are, in paying attention to, as well as being pulled along by, your red thread. For me, the story of Isan's life is not just about sex. The red thread quality lay in his being emphatically who he was, and how he brought that sexy drag queen quality of his to looking after people. The red thread was most visible in that moment of picking people up on the street and finding a home for those who had none. Isan seemed to contemplate his own demise very little. It was just present and looming. This did not seem to be denial. He would complain, oh, it hurts, it's too cold. They never get the pleats right. The garlic is very strong, don't you think? And there was something dramatic and endearing about it. He complained about real things, yet not about his fate. Ethan proved an exception to, I don't know how to say his name, Montaigne. Thank you. Montaigne. Rule that no one is a hero to his servants. Those close to him found him happy and loving, though inclined to turn their lives upside down. My favorite story of his dying is this. Toward the end, Isan needed assistance walking, and a friend was helping him back from the bathroom. They paused on the floor, on the first floor landing. The friend, a person himself, so officially nonconformist that he was nicknamed the Pharaoh Monk, was overwhelmed by feeling a previously unheard of event. He took a deep breath and said, I'll miss you, Issan. Issan turned his large, liquid, seductive eyes on his friend and said, I'll miss you too. Where are you going? Kindness and wildness is a poignant combination. It is without premeditation, and it does not ask for our good opinion or seek payment for good deeds. Maitri, the AIDS hospice Isan founded, became an institution which grew and helped many. There are people who think Isan was a saint and even people who think that after his death, he interceded for them in heaven and cured them of AIDS by his blessing. I think he would have enjoyed that the way he might have enjoyed someone finding the face of Lana Turner on a tortilla. The more interesting point for me is the one about the red thread, that everyone has some sainthood possible and that the unfolding of their goodness might sometimes be through their transgressions, through what is wild and imperfect in them. Isan seems never for an instant to have thought of his death 
of his life or his death as a tragedy. The point of this koan might be found in truly living your life rather than living it perfectly or even respectably. I like that. Eventually, Isan died in his temple. He died before JD, the patient he had first brought in. I sat with his body one night after his death. He was laid out in a white kimono, white for death. The windows were open to cool the room and the white curtains flapped and sighed. Every now and then I would think he spoke and began to ask, say again, Isan, and then realize that no, it was just very quiet. He and I were both very quiet. <laughs> then friends came in and embraced him and stroked his cold cheek and wept and spoke to him as if he were alive. Excuse me. Someone had told him that they thought AIDS terribly unfair. You got what you deserve, he replied, whether you deserve it or not. That's what he replied when he was dead? Oh, no, someone once told him before he was dead. Oh. Oh, that was chapter six. I know. I want, wonder if we want to read this again. The koan. Why can't clear-eyed bodhisattvas sever the red thread? I guess because then he wouldn't become a bodhisattva. Well, you... I think of it like the red thread being um, our lives, our desire, our, and that's not something Bodhisattva can stop. Right, because they are the red thread. It's lived experience. But at the same time, they have to be true to themselves and not just live respectively or, you know, they have to be really themselves to so be open. I'm reading it a little different that this really isn't about bodhisattvas, but it's why can't the red thread be severed? Why would you want to sever any part of you? Exactly. Any, any parts of you. Well, even a bodhisattva can't do that. Right. That's, a, that's how I'm reading it. It's nothing to do with 
the Bodhisattvas, they don't have a red thread. Like kind themselves. of, I mean, they've decided to stay back and help others. So, but, but yeah, but can they really help? What kind of help can they really do? But we just read what kind of help you can really do being a drag queen who has a boyfriend in a zendo. Yeah. <laughs> that it was exactly through all of that, that his compassion and his and his open heartedness, which is bodhisattva-ish. And you're still a human, aren't you? Yes, yes. So it's not a question of what keeps a bodhisattva here, but more a question of um, why can't anyone even a, a clear That's eye? how I'm reading it. Mm -hmm. That even a clear-eyed bodhisattva can't do that. Can't do it mm -hmm. because it because it's a job that can't be done. Well, but at the same time, we see many people that they, like, for example, somebody who is homosexual, but they want to confirm to society the way they think they should, and they deny that part of themselves, it ends up destroying them. Yeah. So they're trying to cut their red thread unsuccessfully they're trying to sever it yeah yeah because they cannot accept themselves as they are yeah we have a friend who went through shock treatment oh lord to, to change her orientation oh my lord you know oh, no. and that's not unusual that's cool you know for different times Thank goodness for that. That's torture. Yep. But sometimes it's the last option. My sweet mom had over 30, 39 shock treatments. For, mm -hmm. But not for that. Not, not for homosexuality. No. For other things. Yeah. No, I have another friend who had shock treatments and it saved her life. Mm -hmm. It really took her out of her depression that nothing else would. It really helped her. Oh, yes. Wow. She was gone. I don't know how she is now. I haven't, I've lost touch with her. Well, so I love this koan and I, and the more I practice, and I especially love this one because um, I don't know how, how anyone else's life works, but my life works as wanting to fix so many parts of myself, to fix them, right? And what a beautiful reminder that those are the very parts through which I might um, eventually, in some life, reach bodhisattvahood. Yeah, that's a really nice, um, that's a really nice thought. Um, I think um, I've seen a lot of people trying to avoid what they consider the worst parts of themselves and um, 
it's nice to see when they are able to embrace what the thing that they think makes them weak actually makes them quite strong. So. Yeah, I, I also think it's easier to have that perspective with someone else's shit. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's harder when you're in it. I think this one to the hate gives us the freedom to embrace ourselves. Mm -hmm. But also want to just, I have to say it. Um, I don't think if somebody, for example, is a serial killer, no, it wouldn't be, <laughs> oh no, you keep doing that. No, I think it's, embracing the There's best self mm -hmm. as that you're not harming others in doing that. Well, and not that my own reactivity hasn't harmed others. I, I would never deny any of the harm I caused to others by my own reactivity, mostly verbal but it certainly has given me tremendous compassion for those I see who have gotten reactive. I just go, oh, there's a part of you that's so wounded or scared that this is how you act. So I've come to, it's so funny. It's just, there's an irony in it. My reactivity has given me more compassion for the reactivity of others and in that has calmed it it's not completely gone i can still get triggered about things that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying um i'm so grateful now for that part of me um, that led to compassion and a softening of my own external responses Do you think that um, led to a softening within you? No, sometimes it's pretty loud in there. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, but I can hear myself better before anything comes out. Sometimes, not always. Mm -hmm. I got a red thread. 